Calvary Chapel Elizabeth City's online sermon series. Join us this week for Daniel chapter 3, verses 24 through 30 with Pastor John King. Thank you, Pastor John. Well, good morning, folks. Uh, we're going to finish up the book of Daniel this morning. We'll be in uh, chapter 3, verses 24 through 30, as you can see. Um, as you're turning there, uh, let me just kind of briefly go over what we, we covered last week. Last week, God allowed us to see how genuine trust and faith works. It wasn't, you know, that we talk about definitions of faith, but really what we want to see is how our faith actually works. And through these three young men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, we learned that real faith is not based on a desired outcome. It is uh, not based on what we would call positive confession. Um, genuine faith is ready to trust and obey God and let God determine the outcome. We can certainly bring our prayers to the Lord, but, uh, you know, again, it, this was, we, we aren't in the business of bossing God around. We, we, we come before the Lord and we lay our cares before him, but then we must trust and obey him. And we saw this with these three young men when they spoke to uh, King Nebuchadnezzar and they said, look, our Lord can deliver us from this fire. Because he'd asked the question, who, who, who's going to save you now? And he, they said, look, uh, we know that our God can deliver us, but even if not, we will not bow down to and worship your idols. Now, even though I didn't emphasize it directly in the message last week, we also saw a clear demonstration on the issue of church and state. Okay, that's a big issue these days in our society. And uh, one writer put it this way. He said, the New Testament is clear that Christians should submit to authorities. You see that in Romans 13, 1, showing proper deference and respect to political officials and governmental systems. You see that in 1 Peter uh, 2, verses 13 through 17. The followers of Jesus aren't to be renegades or political rabble-rousers. And yet submission to authorities does have a limit. In this fallen world, governments can issue decrees that directly contradict the will of God. In such case, cases, the path of wisdom is to do as Daniel's three friends had done. In the face of a state-sponsored idolatry, they express their conscientious objection by not bowing to the idol, and while at the same time they were willing to embrace the consequences of such a stand, when we take a stand for Christ in the public sphere, we need to be ready to deal with the consequences. That's a true test of our faith. Because God doesn't always deliver us. And we saw that with Peter and the apostles. Uh, we remember in the book of Acts where they said, we must obey God rather than men. So now this week, we're going to conclude chapter 3 with uh, another confession by King Nebuchadnezzar. We're going to see King Nebuchadnezzar, we're going to see Daniel and his three men, and how they all react to this amazing miracle, or I should say four miracles that's going to take place. And it's almost as though um, Nebuchadnezzar, when he confesses the greatness of God, is answering his own question. When he said, and who is the God who will deliver you from my hands? Well, now when you're going to see today, he's going to answer his own question. His response to witnessing God's dramatic and complete deliverance. Remember, not only was it dramatic, but it was complete 
deliverance from the fire. Complete. The only thing that burned on them were the ropes that bound them, okay? That's complete deliverance. And it leaves us to ponder the question. First of all, maybe several questions, actually. What ended up happening to Nebuchadnezzar? Was he simply charmed by God, or was he truly changed? It should stir in ourselves our own reaction to the complete and total deliverance that God has for each of us. He's offered it to us through the atoning sacrifice of Jesus Christ. Are we simply charmed by God's grace, or are we truly saved? Join me in prayer. Father, thank you so much for your word, and Lord, we ask that you would go before us as we prepare to read these passages. Lord, as we prepare to study. And we ask, Lord God, that you would you know, go beyond, like you do, the word of God that penetrates deep into our heart and soul. It cuts right to the places where you need to cut and where you need to bring truth into our lives. Only your word can do that, Lord. And so we acknowledge you now as the great God of Almighty, God Almighty, the great God of all creation that has power over all the elements and everything. And, and, and Lord, we submit to you as we come to you through Jesus Christ and we study your word. We pray this all in Jesus' name and all God's people said, amen. Well, let's read our passage. Again, we're going to be in verses 24 through 30. 24 through 30 of Daniel chapter 3. It says, Then King Nebuchadnezzar was astonished, and he rose in haste and spoke, saying to his counselors, Did we not cast three men bound in the midst of the fire? If you look back a few uh, lines, you'll note that these men had just been executed. They had been sent into the fire, into the flames. And just when Nebuchadnezzar thought it was a done deal, everything was taken care of, he, he rose and he was astonished. And they answered and they said to the king, true, O king, you know, he's, answer, he's asking his counselors, hey, didn't we just throw three men into the fire and shouldn't they be vaporized by now? <laughs> in verse 25, he says, look. And he answered, he says, I see four men loose walking in the midst of the fire and they are not hurt and in the form of the fourth is like the Son of God. And those are the four miracles we're going to talk about today. But notice what he says, his reaction in verse 26. It says, Then Nebuchadnezzar went near to the mouth of the burning fiery furnace and spoke, saying, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out and come here. Boy, he sure is changing his tune now. Then Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came from the midst of the fire and the satraps, administrators, governors, and the king's counselors gathered together, and they saw these men on whose bodies the fire had no power. The hair of their head was not singed, nor were their garments affected, and the smell of fire was not on them. Nebuchadnezzar spoke, saying, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who sent his angel and delivered his servants who trusted in him, and they have frustrated the king's word, and yielded their bodies that they should not serve nor worship any god except their own god. Therefore I make a decree that any people, nation, or language which speaks anything amiss against the god of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego shall be cut in pieces, and their houses should be made an ash heap, because there is no other god who can deliver like this. Then the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the province of Babylon. So here we see 
Right off, the, right from the get-go, we're picking it up kind of in the middle of that, uh, that chapter. They were saved from a fiery trial. And so he rose in haste. Now, why was he astonished? Well, he was astonished because just a few seconds before, he had, sent, he had seen three of his strong men, the men of valor, who had brought these three prisoners up to dump them into the furnace. They were actually burned to death right outside the furnace because you recall that he turned the heat up seven times greater. And now he asks a startling question. Did we not cast three men bound into the midst of the fire? And of course, you know, everybody that was there, the king's attendants were like, yes, we did. Because they were, they were so fearful of this man who had immense power. Remember, Nebuchadnezzar is an absolute monarch. What he says goes anytime he says it. And so they say, true, O king, or certainly your majesty, some versions would say. They were quickly confirming that he wasn't hallucinating. So you have eyewitnesses already. And we, we talked about last week that the Septuagint actually records that they were probably singing in the midst of the fire. And so in verse 25, he says, look, I see four men loose walking in the midst of the fire, and they're not hurt. Now, we, we know that these furnaces, if you study these ancient smelting furnaces, which were also used as a method of killing people, but they were also used to refine um, metal, that you could see inside. You had access holes to be able to see how your work was doing. And he says, I see four men loose. Miracle number one, if you're taking notes. Only three went in, and they were bound with rope, and only the ropes apparently burned. So I see four men and they're not bound anymore. And then he says, they're walking in the midst of the fire, miracle number two. They should have been instantly vaporized by the intense heat, not walking around and singing. And then he says, and they are not hurt, miracle number three. Instead, they were without injury. Matthew Henry, the great uh, Puritan commentator, said that, uh, he says, see how God of nature when he pleases, how he can control the powers of nature to make them serve his purposes. So they were loose, they were walking in the midst of the fire, and they were not hurt. Now here's, here's what I believe is probably going to be their life verse for the rest of their life. If you look at Isaiah 43 too, you know, everybody, you all have a life verse, right? Sometimes you have different life verses through different stages of your life. I will bet this was one of their life verses. It says, when you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overflow you. And when you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned. Nor shall the flame scorch you. I would believe that, that for the rest of their lives, this was their life verse. I could, be, I could be crazy, but I think that's probably true. David Guzik writes this. He says, God can deliver us from a trial. We always know that. God can deliver us from a trial or he can miraculously sustain and strengthen us in the trial. He can, he can do what he wants. He can deliver us from the trial. He can sustain us and protect us in the trial. You guys know what I'm talking about. You've been through some trials here recently. Maybe you ended up in the emergency room when you weren't expecting it. Who was sustaining you? God was. Who was strengthening you? The Lord was. A quote from an English martyr who said 
this as he was burnt at the stake. A man was being burnt at the stake. He goes, O ye papists, behold, ye look for miracles. Here now you may see a miracle. For in this fire I feel no more pain than as if I were in a bed of down. But it is to me as a bed of roses. So we see the three miracles, four men loose. They were walking. They were not harmed. And then we have the next miracle. The fourth or the form of the fourth is like the son of God. Again, we said this is a theophany or a Christophany, a physical manifestation of God that is tangible to human senses. In this case, the eyes. The eyes see it. The eyes of Nebuchadnezzar and those who were with him. And he said he is, he is like the Son of God. NIV says Son of God. We see it as a pre-incarnate uh, appearance of Jesus Christ. Happens many times in the Old Testament. Now, now Nebuchadnezzar had, would have had no idea, no, neither would have anybody really at that point. They would have no idea who Jesus Christ was, our Lord and Savior. But this man knew, and you would know too if you saw it, he knew a divine figure when he saw it. It's, it, you know, the thing is, is you hear about people coming to the Lord in places where they haven't received the gospel and they haven't read the Bible, but they know that they've seen Jesus because it's unmistakable. That doesn't mean we don't need more instruction. That doesn't mean we don't uh, study our Bibles. Many of you are familiar uh, with, this, uh, with an old poem written by Mary Stevenson. It's called Footprints in the Sand. I mean, they've made, I don't know how many postcards out of this famous poem. I'd like for us to review it. It says, in this poem, Footprints in the Sand, Mary Stevenson wrote, One night I dreamed a dream. I was walking along the beach with my Lord. Across the dark sky flashed scenes from my life. For each scene, I noticed two sets of footprints in the sand, one belonging to me and one to my Lord. When the last scene of my life shot before me, I looked back at the footprints in the sand. There was only one set of footprints, and I realized that this was the lowest and saddest times of my life. This always bothered me, and I questioned the Lord about my dilemma. Lord, you told me when I decided to follow you, you would walk and talk with me all the way. But I'm aware that during the most trouble, troublesome times in my life, there is only one set of footprints. I just don't understand why. When I need you most, you leave me. He whispered, my precious child, I love you and will never leave you. Never, ever, during your trials and testings. When you saw only one set of footprints, it was then that I carried you. The book of Isaiah, Isaiah 63, 9, is similar to that. This is the word of God. It says, in all their affliction, he was afflicted. And the angel of his presence saved them. And in his love and in his pity, he redeemed them. And he bore them and he carried them all the days of old. All the days of old. So we see next in verse 26, it says, then Nebuchadnezzar. Here we see he's going to declare that these are servants of the Most High God. Then Nebuchadnezzar went near the mouth of the burning fiery furnace and spoke, calling them by name, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. 
Servants of the Most High, High God, come out and come here. Servants would be understood as a slave or a worshiper of God. Most High God, the highest or supreme in the world, like we see today. People, some people believe in a polytheistic view of God and they see many gods. And so he sees many gods, but he says, this is the Most High God. And then he says, come out and come here. I like the King James Version. It says, come forth and come hither. And uh, they said, okay, <laughs> we're out of here. <laughs> they stepped right out. They stepped right out from the midst of the fire. But when they did, they were, this was witnessed now by hundreds of people. Because remember, Nebuchadnezzar had gathered from all of his kingdom, all of these satraps, administrators, governors, the counselors, they were all gathered together on the plain of Dora to worship the golden image. But my, oh my, have things changed. This is the same scene. This is the same page, okay? And so it says, when these, these uh, satraps, administrators, etc., when they saw these men on whose bodies the fire had no power, no power whatsoever. We all know that fire burns. We have people here that actually work for the fire department. They can tell you if you don't believe it. <laughs> fire burns. And they said that this fire had no power over them. So they, had, they saw these men. You had multiple eyewitnesses who came to dedicate the golden image. But now they're seeing this incredible account. In fact... It goes farther. Now, we're talking about complete deliverance. And actually, I'm mistaken. This is miracle number four. It says, The hair of their head was not singed, nor were their garments affected. And get this. They didn't even smell like smoke. Now, you guys know if you've been sitting around, you know, if you've just been cooking a steak on a grill with charcoal, of course, that's the only acceptable means to cook a steak, um, you're going to smell like that grill. Okay, that, you're going to smell like it. You're not gonna, you may not be burned by it, but these guys are in a fiery furnace. No, gas is not delicious, Tony, I'm sorry. Not compared to charcoal. But not a hair of their head was singed, nor were their garments affected. This was total and complete deliverance. If you're taking notes, remember that. Because if you are saved, if you know Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior, it is total and complete deliverance from your sins. Past, present, and future. You are guaranteed to have a new body in heaven and spend eternity with him. Now the Chaldeans worship fire, writes Matthew Henry. The Chaldeans worship the fire as a sort of image of the sun so that in restraining the fire now, God, God put contempt not only on their king but upon their God too and showed that his voice divides the flames of fire as well as the floods of water. When he pleases to make a way for his people through the midst of it, it is our God only that is a consuming fire compared to other fire. And if he but speak the word, it shall not consume you. It shall not consume you. Some thoughts so far. You know, we've been studying our end times study through um, that uh, book of, it's not a Bible, but it's the book of signs. It's not a biblical book. It's a study uh, taught by Pastor David Jeremiah, talking about the end times. And we've been doing this through our midweek study for the past, I think, 20, 26 or 27 weeks. It might be helpful to see what we saw in this scene 
as a type of illustration concerning the future of Israel, the nation Israel, because we know that they play a very important role in the end times, and especially during the Great Tribulation. So one writer summarizes the account as follows, and if you're taking notes, I'll try not to read too fast. First of all, Nebuchadnezzar illustrates he's like the Antichrist, who forces the whole world into one religion of idolatry. And he, you know, all the, all the known world at that time that came under his kingdom, not the known world, but most of it. Nebuchadnezzar's image is like the image described in Revelation 13, that the whole world would be commanded to worship. So Nebuchadnezzar set up this golden image in the plain of Dura. We know that during the Great Tribulation, the false prophet will set up this, false, this image of the beast or the Antichrist and demand that the world worship him. The fiery furnace is like the Great Tribulation, which will be great affliction for the Jews, which it was here. The three Hebrew men are like Israel, who were preserved through the tribulation. Notice the Lord took them through this fiery trial. The executioners who perished are like those in league with the Antichrist, who Jesus will slay at his return. Remember, when he comes for his second coming, he is going to judge the nations. And he's going to come against all of those who came against the people that were the saints and the Jews that were left during the great tribulation. And then mysteriously absent is Daniel. You know, this is all about the three men, but it doesn't talk about Daniel. Mysteriously absent is Daniel, who, like the church, is not present for the great time of tribulation. We believe that at the time of the rapture, the church will be brought out of uh, the earth to be with the Lord in the air, and that during this tribulation, the seven years, all the crazy stuff that's going on on earth, uh, we will, you know, at the very least be spectators for, but we will not be here at that. So there's a, there's a little illustration, but notice as we, as we head toward the end of our passage, he says, he makes a, a declaration. He says, there is no other God that can deliver like this. In Daniel 3.28, Nebuchadnezzar spoke. He says, blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who sent his angel and delivered his servants who trusted in him. Now, keep in mind who is describing God right now. It's not like you or I as Christians are describing God. This is a pagan king, the great monarch Nebuchadnezzar, and he's going to describe God as follows. First of all, he says, blessed be the God. So praise, blessed means praise, be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Now he's making a distinction. It's their God. Not his God, their God, who sent his angel. He's referring to the fourth person in the fire. We see he's describing God right there as a God of protection, who sent his angel. We think of angels in protection all the time. He's describing this pagan king is describing God as a God of protection. And it says, and he delivered his servants to set free or to liberate them. He's also a God of power. So he's a God of protection, he's a God of power, he's blessed, he's, he's worthy of praise, and then they, he says, who trusted in him? He's also a God who is worthy to be trusted. And next, he's, now the king, he's described God through those four attributes, God of protection, God of power, worthy to be trusted, worthy of praise. Now he's going to talk about God's people what these men, these obedient, these men who were obedient to God, what they've done. First of all, he says they, 
These are the three men who came out of the fire, were delivered. They have frustrated the king's word. They have frustrated the king's word. Again, this king had the power to put people to death. He heated the furnace seven times hotter than normal. They should be dead by now. But because of their obedience, they have frustrated the king's word. So we see that he is a God who deserves complete surrender. Proverbs 16.7. Proverbs 16.7 says, When a man's ways please the Lord, he makes even his enemies to be at peace with him. That's something to keep in mind, especially in the times we live in. You know, when you and I are walking, I'm not saying everybody's going to love you. <laughs> not saying that at all. But when they recognize that you're a Christian and your ways please the Lord, oftentimes even your enemies will be at peace with you. If people are always trying to get you, and you know, I'm not talking about being persecuted by the government. I'm just thinking, I'm saying, look, if you're a Christian and you're walking around and you're walking in the Lord and you believe you're doing God's will and whatever it is, yet it just seems like everybody hates your guts. Maybe, maybe your ways are not actually pleasing to the Lord. Just be honest. It says, they frustrated the king's word and, word and they yielded their bodies. We read this passage last week. To yield their bodies is to give. And Romans 12.1 says to you and I, from Paul, he says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, since you're a Christian, I beseech you. And he says, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. In light of all the things that he's done for you, in light of the fact that he has forgiven your sins, he has wiped, you, wiped it clean, he has died on the cross for you, he defeated the enemy on the cross, he says, you, are to, you and I are to yield our bodies. We are to be ready to be used by him. So they yielded their bodies, they frustrated the king's word, and they would not serve nor worship any god except their own god. You know, they drew the line in the sand. And sometimes you and I have to do that. The God of Israel, in Deuteronomy 5, 7, these young men knew it. They said, you shall have no other gods before me. And they knew it, and they would not bow down and worship. And like we've been saying, they knew in advance what they would do if they were placed in a situation such as this. Because they knew the word of God, and they knew God. And you and I need to know in advance how we're going to deal with temptation. How we're going to deal with, you know, oppression if it comes in our time. We, you know, I don't, we don't know what's going to happen in this world. You need to know in advance how you're going to react. Are you going to be obedient? Are you going to give complete surrender? Are you going to yield your bodies if that's what God calls you to do? And he does. And will you not worship or serve any God except the God of the Bible? Therefore, the king, having said all this, having described God and described God's people, he says this. Therefore, I make a decree. Now, here he is. He's making another decree. Remember, his other decree was, if you don't worship the idol, you're going you're gonna to burn. You're going to turn or burn. Now he makes a new decree to the same crowd of people that he'd called, okay, in this gathering. He says, I make a decree that any people, nation, or language which speaks anything amiss against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Wait a minute, what's going on here? 
this great crowd that he had called to have worship, now he says, you don't get to talk bad about these guys ever. No one is allowed to speak against the God of these three men, these three young men at this point. And if you do, and now this is the king, you know, absolute king and absolute power, guess what? If you do, you shall be cut in pieces and your houses will be made into an ash heap. Amen. Yes. Amen. I think. I don't know. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Psalm 76.10. It says, Surely, God, surely your wrath against mankind brings you praise. Surely your wrath against mankind brings you praise, and the survivors of your wrath are restrained. You ask why, like I'm asking, why such a big turnabout? Well, you know, because of the miracle, of course. Because of the Most High God, okay? The fourth who was walking the fire. All the things that he saw was enough to make him change and start to turn towards God. And he gives the reason why. You speak bad against them, I'll cut you to pieces and destroy your home because there is no other God who can deliver like this. No other God. Now that's a strong declaration from someone who had previously belittled their God as he is going to send them to their death. Remember that? Remember when he said in verse 15, and who is the God who will deliver you from my hands? Now he says, oh, there's no other God. Maybe that was, your, you know, you, you may have gone through something similar. Maybe you weren't raised in the church and you came to know the Lord as an adult like I did. Maybe at one point in your life you were belittling God or you could care less about God. He was a little G as far as you were concerned. He wasn't a great God, the God of the Most High. And you, were, you could care less or you even spoke bad about Him. You spoke blasphemy about God. You know, we've all fallen short. When you look at the Ten Commandments, which are out in the hallway, there's a reason why we have those Ten Commandments out there. It's because we need to be familiar with them, because those are the Ten Commandments that led us to our salvation. Here, in here, we're in grace. So, you know, we don't worship the, we're not under the law anymore, but we need to be reminded that prior and separate from God, we were all liars and adulterers and thieves and murderers. That's what we were. And so, you know, it's a humbling thing to be reminded and so you may have changed your tune. You may have been like Nebuchadnezzar in a sense where you changed your tune about God. I pray that you have. Who can deliver us like this? Because there is no other God. Interesting, but commentators believe that because of this powerful decree by Nebuchadnezzar, it tended to keep the Jews from idolatry for the rest of their time, as an, uh, both as a nation in exile and when they came back. The, the sin of idolatry tended not to be something that the Jews practiced. Now, we know by Jesus' time that they'd, made, they'd done some other things. They changed the law. They created all these, this legalism, and they became religious you know, Pharisees. And Jesus had very harsh words for them. But the sin of idolatry, because they were allowed to worship their God, and they were free to worship their God among, in the exile because of this great decree, they were given religious freedom right there, in Babylon. So some thoughts as we conclude today. We talked about the fact that, you know, their, their deliverance was so complete that not even a whiff of smoke. Did you know that your deliverance from your sins is so complete that in the eyes of God, and you know, you all know, you know your life, 
Everybody, you know, your relatives know you. <laughs> your wife knows you. You know yourself. In the eyes of God, because you're covered by the blood of Jesus, if you know him, not a whiff of smoke, okay? Not a single hint of sin is complete and utter deliverance. Deliverance. Now, when others see your faith in God and even show respect for your willingness to surrender your life for it, and, and Lord, saints, brothers and sisters, we should see that. People should be able to tell somehow that you're a believer. And when it does come out and it gets in the public, you know, you get to tell your testimony or you get to say, yeah, this is what the Lord's doing in my life now. Or I met an old friend who I hadn't seen in many, many years and uh, we were in the Coast Guard together and, and I've known him for 40 plus years. And we ran into him at a restaurant recently and his response, you know, he, and he didn't know, you know, I left the Coast Guard and I've been pastoring here at the church. And so, you know, how's it going? Well, I'm pastoring a church now. And they're like, oh, I didn't realize that. But he emphasized at least twice that's good for you. <laughs> That's good for you. <laughs> so he was trying to, you know, cut me off at the, at the pass. He's not going to let me go any further to tell him about Jesus in my life because that's what he's, you know, he's had. And so we run into people like that because people want to sidestep. They, when you do street ministry, when you say, hey, you, you go to offer a, a Bible tract to somebody and, and you say, hey, did you get one of these? They're like, thank you. And they walk away. You know, a lot of times it's very difficult to engage them in conversation. Now, after the first of the year, we're going to start something here at our church. On Monday nights, uh, after the first of the year, we're going to start offering an evangelism class uh, for those who would be, like to be a part of it. Uh, the Way of the Master, you may be familiar with it, Ray Comfort. And we're going to teach all of us how to be better witnesses for Jesus. And you say, well, I'm not called to be a, an evangelist. Well, I'm not saying that you've got to you know, head down to the courthouse on Thursdays and give out Bible tracts, because you're probably working anyway. But I would say that we're all called to bring the word of God. We're all called to bring the good news to the world around us. And so, you know, at least as a start to learn how to be an effective witness, I think is very important for us. And so we're going to start to offer that after the first of the year. But when you see people and you realize that they, even though they may show respect for your faith and you may experience that now during the holidays with your relatives, your unsaved relatives, where you've kind of have this detente, right? <laughs> We're not going to talk about it this time. <laughs> We're going to have a nice family meal. I, I don't know, maybe I, I'm painting a picture that doesn't exist for you. That's good. But they think it's good for you. And, and what happens to you and I in those situations is our heart gets hard towards them, Right? We get angry because they're rejecting, you know, when they reject Jesus, we think they're rejecting us. But that's not the truth. They're rejecting Jesus. And so instead of being prideful and angry about people who won't hear the truth, and we believe that it is, maybe you and I should be broken and horrified that people are going to actually, when they see God at work, they see things happening, and they still reject the message. They still reject God's promises. That should horrify us. And I, I confess to you that oftentimes my pride gets in the way and it doesn't. And I don't have a love for the lost. But Nebuchadnezzar, here he was, he'd seen this great deliverance and he's still your God. It's good for you. And he went and he said a lot of good things. 
Another application we come from today is the fact that we know that Jesus has assured you and I of his continual presence. Just like that footprints in the sand. He was always there. Matthew 28, 20, Jesus says, Teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. This is Matthew 28, where he had given them the Great Commission. And he sent them out and he said, while you're out there telling people about Jesus and baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, I am with you always. I am always with you. In 2 Corinthians 1, verses 8 through 10, Paul says this to the church. He says, For we do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, of our trouble which came to us in Asia, that we were burdened beyond measure, above strength, so that we despaired even to life. You talk about a fit of, dis- of depression, okay? A heavy weight of depression. Even they despaired even to life. Yes, we had the sentence of death in ourselves. That we should not trust in ourselves, but in God who raises the dead. Who delivered us from so great a death and does deliver us in whom we trust that he will still deliver us. Doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. The problems will continue to come. They will continue to come, and you will continue to be an overcomer. You will continue to conquer the works of Satan, just as Jesus did on the cross when he suffered. Not only can we be assured of his continual presence, but he also promises to give us the strength to bear the trial or to deliver us. The strength to either bear up under it or to deliver us. Isaiah 41.10, Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. Yes, I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. So you wonder about Nebuchadnezzar. You wonder about, was this king truly repentant? This this is a great book of the Bible because we get to see how God works in the lives of people. And we're going to, as we see, as we move on, it's, it's an amazing book. I can't wait to get there. We're probably going to take a break from it for a couple weeks as we come into Christmas. But uh, the question we, we may be left with was, was Nebuchadnezzar truly repentant? And what did he do with the golden image? You know, did he tear it down or did he leave it up there? Was this decree rescinded at the sound of the music? The Bible doesn't tell us. Alistair Begg talks about this. He, he, he mentions it. Uh, he says, you may be charmed by the gospel. You may be charmed by the gospel and yet unchanged by it. You may be brought to conviction and yet remain unconverted. Food for thought. Finally, in verse 30, it says, Then the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the province of Babylon. Now, he promoted them. Prior prior to this event, they had already been given secure positions working in the province of Babylon. Through Daniel, they were given positions actually working for the government. So it must have been like an amazing dream to them, having gone from being chewed up by their enemies, sentenced to a gruesome death by fire, thrown into a hot furnace, and then delivered by God. (laughs) hallelujah how about you guys brothers and sisters 
Do you want to rejoice in His great mercy and love? Do you know the furnace of hell was awaiting you before you surrendered to His call? How often do you get to sit, and I know it happens. And these are the things we tend to forget. The times that you can just sit and spend time with the Lord and just look at His goodness and greatness. And look at the life, what He's done recently or what He's done in the past. And just give Him glory and honor for the things He's taken you through. All the memories that He allows you to have. All the people that have crossed your path. But we're going to be tested. 1 Peter 1, 7 through 9. It says that the genuineness of your faith, the genuineness, because when you claim Christ as your Lord and Savior, He's going to put you to the test. The genuineness of your faith being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ, whom we have not seen, whom having not seen, you love. This, this amazes the angels in heaven when they see us worshiping a God we cannot see. Though you do not see him, though you do not see him, yet believing, you rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory, receiving the end of your faith, the salvation of your souls. The heat of persecution, the pressure to compromise can still affect all of us. It does probably on a daily basis. As we move toward the end of the age, writes Warren Wiersbe, the furnace of opposition will be heated seven times hotter and the pressure to conform will become stronger and stronger. It will take a great deal of grace and prayer courage and faith for God's people to stand tall for Christ while others are bowing the knee to the gods of this world. The book of Daniel is a great source of encouragement because it reminds us that God cares for his people and honors them when they are true to him. Them that honor me, I will honor. 1 Samuel 2.30 Heavenly Father, we thank you for our time together with you today. We thank you for your word. We thank you for the promises that we've had throughout, of our, uh, throughout our life, the promises that have been fulfilled, Lord, the things that you have taken us through, the fiery trials, the times of defeat, the times of uh, desolation, the times of loneliness, Lord, you've always been there with us. And, and so, Lord, we, we have no cause to, cr- to question your track record we have no cause to doubt other than our own fears allowing the enemy to speak to us not recognizing that we are completely and fully delivered from all of our sins but Lord I pray for those who don't know you maybe even in this room right now or at the sound of my voice those who are perhaps you know as we said charmed by the greatness of who you are, charmed by the thought of a loving God who would die on a cross, but yet remain unconverted, remain resistant to the truth that we all need a Savior. We are all sinners who have fallen short of your glory. And so, Lord, when we humbly submit to you and receive you as our Lord and Savior, 
That's when you make all things new. It doesn't change our circumstances sometimes. It doesn't mean we won't go through troubles, trials, and persecutions. But it means that we've been totally and completely delivered from sin and death for all of eternity. So Lord, we thank you once again for your great love, the great power that you have over all things. We ask that you go before us now. And we pray this all in Jesus' precious name. And all God's people said, Amen. Let's stand before we sing our final song. Read our doxology from Romans 16, verses 25 and 27 together. Now to him who is able to establish you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery kept secret since the world began, but now made manifest by the prophetic scriptures, made known to all nations according to the commandment of the everlasting God, for obedience to the faith, to God alone wise, be glory through Jesus Christ forever. Amen. Thank you for joining us today for Calvary Chapel Elizabeth City's online sermon series. Join us next week as we continue through the Bible, book by book, verse by verse, line by line. God bless.